I trust that y'all enjoyed your Christmas celebrations and gatherings, New Year's celebrations and gatherings. And as we reflect back for uh, just a moment, I've got to begin with a question, and that is this. Did you receive any gifts uh, that you really didn't like? Uh, Did you receive anything that made you ask the question, what am I going to do with this? Does this person even know me at all? Ever been in those shoes? Well, thankfully, uh, my two-year-old son is still at the stage where uh, Santa knows that he will enjoy some things that uh, the rest of us may not consider all that impressive. And so I wish that I could have captured the grin that filled his round face as he reached into his stocking on Christmas morning and began to pull out things like um, toothpaste, <laughs> Crest Kids, what else did he get, a, a small orange flashlight that is his very own, chapstick, travel pack of wet wipes, <laughs> among other things. Now, this was not all that Paxton received, but you see, Santa knew that he would cherish some things that the rest of us may not. And the truth is this, that, that what we give someone often expresses and indicates how well we know them. In fact, it expresses oftentimes how well we know him or reflects how much we value her. We tend to give gifts with a specific person in mind. In church, the same thing ought to be true of what we give God. What we give Him ought to reflect how well we know Him and how much we value Him. And as we open the Scriptures this morning, we'll see that God only accepts the very best in worship from His people So let me invite you to open the scriptures with me today to the final book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, a short uh, book just before the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, after Zechariah, we'll be in Malachi today, and as you turn there, uh, just a a preview of kind of where we're going in the coming weeks, next week we'll be observing the Lord's Supper on Sunday morning in both services, the following week we'll begin a new series Uh, looking at Mark's gospel. But today we're in the end of Malachi and uh, would encourage you to continue thinking uh, in the vein of a new year, new beginnings, new commitments, uh, turning toward what lies ahead, a renewed emphasis on knowing, worshiping, and serving the God of the Scriptures. But as you're turning there, just a bit of background about uh, this book, about this passage. Malachi was a prophet in his day and God spoke to uh, his people, his people who were by and large complacent in their worship, uh, calling them to repent and to turn uh, to him once again. In the opening of this short book, the Israelites question uh, how God has loved them, question uh, the greatness of God's love for them. And God responds and reminds them that he has loved them, that he has chosen them as his people, that he has protected them, that he has provided for them as his people, past, present, and future. Uh, And then the tone shifts rather quickly as God begins to question them. 
and rightly so, for they are not giving God what He deserves. Their lives are not reflecting that they are devoted to Him, that He is the object of their worship and affection. So as we prepare to read from the Scripture this morning, let me encourage you and invite you to examine your own heart, your own life, asking yourself, would others look at my life and know that I worship God? Would others, would others look at my life and know that I am devoted to God? Does God look at my life and know that I love Him? Am I giving God my very best? So with those questions asked and being considered, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Malachi chapter 1, I'll begin reading in verse 6. And there the Scriptures read this way, A son honors his father, and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you priests who show contempt for my name, but you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would guide us, that you would direct us as we seek to rightly understand the truths of your word, principles of of worship. Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to examine our own hearts and lives. Give us wisdom by the power of your spirit in applying these truths to our lives as your people today. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. God only accepts the very best in worship from his people. Following the typical fashion of his day and of other prophets in his day, Malachi begins by going straight to the point. And the point is this, that God's people are not giving him what he is due. God's people are not giving him their all. They are not worshiping him. And specifically, Malachi confronts the religious leaders of the day. He confronts the priests because the priests have allowed the people's worship of God to become stagnant, indifferent, and selfish. Yet, as our Father and our Master, God deserves our best. God doesn't deserve what's left. He doesn't deserve half-hearted worship. He doesn't simply deserve ritual and routine. He deserves our best. You know, Malachi was a good preacher in his day. He knew how to begin his message, drawing his audience in. Began by stating things that his audience, including the priests, would readily acknowledge. A son ought to honor his father. And a servant ought to honor his master. And no doubt, they're listening agreeing. Yes, absolutely, those folks should. They're expecting a sermon, a message on human relationships. And then Malachi quickly turns a corner and he begins confronting their spiritual relationship to God. For God is 
their father, their heavenly father, and he is their master, the Lord, ruler over all. And indeed, he is these things to us as well. But Malachi's approach is similar to that of Nathan the prophet when he confronts David. Remember the story of David? And David has sinned, he's committed adultery, and then spiraling deeper into sin, he commits murder in an attempt to cover up his, his sin. Sometime later, Nathan confronts David as recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And Nathan begins to tell a story of a certain rich man who took advantage of a poor man. And as David is hearing this story, the scriptures say that he burned with anger. In his heart, David burned with anger against that man. And then Nathan drops a bombshell saying, oh, by the way, you are that man. Ouch. See, David recognized sin in others' lives, but he failed to see the sin in his own life because sin often clouds our vision. And the same thing is true here of the priests. Readily acknowledging sin in the lives of others, but they fail to see the sin in their own lives. They've allowed the people's worship of God simply to be acts of going through the motions, outward routine, outward ritual, without the inward desire and affection of the heart, without gifts and without worship that is consistent with the identity of the one they are worshiping. Remember, the gifts we give someone, including to God, reflect the value we place on the one receiving the gift. The people were bringing what was left, bringing the crippled, they were bringing the disease, they were bringing what couldn't be used for anything else, what couldn't be sold for personal profit. That's what they were bringing to God. But the Lord had been clear through the law, what His standard was. Leviticus chapter 22, verses 20 and following. You read instructions regarding the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. The Lord said, Do not bring anything with a defect, because it will not be accepted on your behalf. When anyone brings from the herd or flock a fellowship offering to the Lord to fulfill a special vow or as a free will offering, it must be without defect or blemish to be acceptable. Verse 22, do not offer to the Lord the blind, the injured or the maimed or anything with warts or festering or running sores. Do not place any of these on the altar as a food offering presented to the Lord. In other words, don't don't bring the weak. Bring your very best as an offering to the Lord. And Malachi confronts the priest for leading in worship in his day. Accusing them of showing contempt for the name of God. Just showing contempt for God. It is despising God, despising His character, lowering His standard, bringing what was left rather than what He Deserve. Now, why is this such a big deal? Why did God require the first and the best? God didn't require a lot of the, the herds and the flocks of the people in, his, in this day in the Old Testament. But He required this, and it was because the sacrifice, the animal sacrifice, represented God's provision of forgiveness of sins for His people. Because the, the animal ultimately foreshadowed the all-sufficient Lamb of God who would give His life on the altar of the cross for the sins of the world. 
See, Jesus is the perfect Lamb of God. He is the sinless, spotless sacrifice that has been given on the altar in our place that we might have life. If Jesus had been anything less, if He had been sinful, if He had not been perfect, if He had not been spotless, so to speak, then His sacrifice would not be sufficient for our sins. But He came and He gave His life for us. So we give, we give God the first and the best because He, because he asks it. Because He deserves it. But also because He has given His one and only firstborn Son the greatest gift of all for our our sins. As our Father and as our Master, God deserves our, our best. First place on our schedules. First place in our hearts. First place in our minds. First place in our bank accounts. And even first place in our corporate gatherings as we come together as a church. And church, I want you to know this morning that we are, we are privileged to have a a staff and a worship pastor that recognizes the importance of Christ-centered worship here, of reflecting excellence in all that we do as we gather. And so I've invited David to come for just a few minutes this morning and to dialogue with me about this topic, the topic of excellence in worship. Many of you know David. If you don't know David, I would certainly encourage you to take an opportunity to get to know him. David certainly uh, is a man who loves the Lord. He loves his family. He loves Christ. And he values this time that we have together as a church family in worship, being um, exalt, exalting the name of Christ and honoring uh, the Lord that we serve. So, David, uh, dialogue with me a little bit about this. Uh, tell us, why does excellence in worship uh, really matter? Um, isn't it enough that, that we're here? Doesn't God simply want us? Well, he certainly does want us, and it matters that we are here. Um, I think the best place to start is uh, God's command through Jesus, um, first through Moses in Deuteronomy, and then Jesus echoes that when is challenged by the religious leaders of the day, um, asking about what's the greatest commandment. And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. He doesn't say, love the Lord your God with your heart, with your soul, and your mind. He says, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Emphasizing that it is every ounce of who we are, mind, body, and spirit, that should be focused and directed on Christ Jesus uh, at all times. Now, that's a tall order, and we know that as, as sinful people, uh, that doesn't happen uh, very much. And we see that happening in, in Malachi. And, you know, God's not happy with the priests, the, the Jewish leaders of the day, and how they're handling uh, the sacrifices. And you see there in verses 7 and 8, uh, the dialogue back and forth uh, there between Malachi and the Lord. And, um, you know, it's obvious that God desires the very best. And I would add that he deserves the very best. And we see throughout Scripture uh, God's command for us to love him, to honor him, to obey him, to worship him, to sing to him, to proclaim him. We could go on and on. 
But let me caution you from the very beginning to know that when we're talking about worship, we're not talking about merely the things that we can see. And we're reminded of this in 1 Samuel when, when we're told that man looks at the outside, but God looks on the inside and sees our heart. And so when we're talking about worship, God is looking at our heart. Um, the things that we do on this platform, this isn't the worship and you being the audience. We are all here to worship together, uh, one and the same. We're just mere prompters in that process. But God desires our heart to be fully engaged in all that we do. Um, again, here in Malachi, when we see that that God's not happy, and I would even add that um, some of the same reasons today in the worship of today, God would probably not be happy. Uh, there's a pastor in the Chicago area, John Piper, um, who's excellent. Um, and I would encourage you to seek out some of his teaching uh, of Christ. Uh, but he calls this careless worship, specifically speaking of the, of the Malachi uh, scripture that we're, we're looking at. And he says this about it. So the origin of careless worship is a failure to see and feel the greatness of God. Hear that again. So the origin of careless worship is a failure to see and feel the greatness of God. But how does this cause careless worship? Malachi's answer, it makes a person bored with God and excited about the world. So again, reemphasizing your point to us, and I feel that that is what God is trying to teach us, is that what we bring to worship each and every time we gather truly reflects our perspective of who God is. So how we've gathered here this morning as a body, how you've gathered as an individual, how I've gathered as an individual and approached everything that we've done so far reflects mine and your perspective of who God is and how he impacts your life. Yeah, well said. Thank you. Give us a, a picture of sort of the, the week to week when it comes to corporate worship and Sunday, something that we all anticipate and should anticipate and look forward to as we come together with other brothers and sisters in Christ. But when it comes to a weekly, uh, say, order of worship uh, that's going to guide what we do here, song selection, flow of the service, uh, how does this principle of excellence in worship impact those things? Well, unfortunately, like unlike many other things in the Scripture, uh, we don't have a set order of worship given to us from God's word. Um, he doesn't tell us you need to do this first, this second, this third, sing this song, pray this prayer. He doesn't tell us that. He gives us many guidelines throughout scripture. Uh, but what many scholars, and I tend to agree, not that I'm a scholar by any stretch, but I tend to agree that in, in Isaiah, the passage that I read earlier in our time together this morning, gives us the best understanding of what should take place in a time of worship. This could be applied to personal worship, but certainly applied also to corporate worship. I'm not going to read that entire passage again, but would encourage you as I kind of go through some of these elements to kind of follow along in Isaiah chapter 6, the first nine verses. What we see in verses 1 through 4 is, is three things. We see there's a recognition, there's an acknowledgement, and there's praise of God. And that should happen every time we gather. That, that sets us apart from who God is. It says, we, you are God, we are your people, here to seek after you and to follow you. And so every time we gather um, in, in an excellent fashion, 
We should recognize, acknowledge, and praise God for who he is. And then in verse 5, we see that there's confession of sin. Now, that happens in in many different forms. Sometimes it happens through a song. Uh, Sometimes it happens through a prayer. Sometimes it happens, like last week, through a scripture reading, I mean, a responsive reading. Many different forms that that can take place. But confession of sin is very, very important uh, in our worship. We see following that in verses uh, in 6, in the first part of 7, that there is forgiveness. God promises to us that when we ask, when we confess our sin to him, we ask for forgiveness, he forgives us. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness for his name's sake. The second half of verse 7, we see that there is an assurance of that, that we acknowledge again that we have accepted God's forgiveness, and we are assured uh, of that pardon that he gives us. Verse 8, something that we are fortunate to hear week after week in a very excellent form is proclamation of God's word. We see that the word of God is proclaimed uh, before us and we are taught. And then the second half of verse 8, there is a response. And every time we gather together, whether it's corporately like this, whether it's in a smaller gathering, whether it's at home, God calls us to respond to his word. It is, it is living and breathing. And we are called to respond to it every time we encounter him. And then finally, we see in the first part of verse 9, there's a benediction. And a benediction is not simply a prayer of dismissal, a prayer for us to go. But it is a prayer of blessing uh, from God over his people to go. Go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples. To go and apply what we have just been taught there. So we certainly do that on a week-by-week basis. You and I get together and, and, and pray. We look at scripture together. And then, you know, kind of the bits and pieces, the, the, the prayers, the songs, those are kind of the last bits and pieces after we get a larger framework of where we sense God is leading us uh, in that. Good, good. Third and final question um, that, uh, you know, most folks gathered here uh, don't see them putting, themselves putting together a, a, an order of worship for a large group setting like this for the church, uh, but you mentioned the home. Help us see how these principles might be carried out in the home, uh, whether it's an individual or a couple or a family, uh, leading the home to worship and exalt the name of God. Well, I would, I would find a model, and we have many, many different tools um, through uh, the Southern Baptist Convention and other resources that we have to help guide worship times in the home. Um, but again, I think the very best is the word of God. And I would encourage you, look, at, look again at Isaiah 6 and the model that you have there. Not only is it applicable for corporate worship that we do here, but it's very applicable for even uh, your prayer life. Uh, it's a good model of how to pray, uh, recognizing, acknowledging, and giving praise to God, um, confessing sin, accepting his forgiveness, and having the assurance of that pardon, um, hearing from God's word, reading scripture. You can do that individually. You can also do that as a family. Start with prayer, uh, praying together, um, and then reading scripture together. And then as you begin that, um, I believe God will open up the doors for you in creative ways to allow you to become a a more and a better worshiping family or individual uh, outside of our corporate gatherings here. Well, thank you, David. We appreciate you. Certainly appreciate you very much. And uh, I know we don't clap often in our, our worship gatherings, but let David know how much you appreciate his leadership and attention on here. <clears throat> well, the principle that we have been considering uh, for the last few minutes, and 
ready to ramp up uh, speed here in direction as we look at the rest of this text. But the principle that we've been looking at is our fa- as our father and master, God deserves our best. As our father and master, God deserves our best. Now, uh, the application of that truth might look different uh, in different uh, folks' lives, but, but we know that based upon that truth, we should all give God our best time Uh, our best energy and our best resources. So give God your best time, your best energy, and your best uh, resources. Uh, Is God leading you to to make a greater financial sacrifice for the sake of his kingdom? Perhaps. Is God leading you to uh, invest more uh, time pursuing him? Perhaps. Uh, But uh, let me tell you about a few folks and and how this truth might apply uh, in their circumstances. Uh, Ted is a hardworking uh, father who is devoted to his job, devoted to his career, spends long hours uh, working in order to financially provide for his wife and and three children. But recognizing that God is uh, his father and God deserves first and best, Ted begins waking up early each morning, well before the kids rise, simply to to spend time at the start of each day uh, in Bible study and prayer. Or Jennifer is a typical uh, uh, middle school age uh, girl who spends her evenings, recognizes after hearing Malachi's message that she spends her evenings uh, text messaging her friends. That that consumes her time. And so wanting to be faithful, she decides after dinner each night that she's going to turn her phone off and begin writing in a prayer journal in order to cultivate her relationship with God. Bill and Susan are parents of an exceptionally talented, athletic young man, John. And together they sit down after hearing the truths of God's word, wondering if perhaps in their home and in their family, sports have become more important than than worship. So deciding together, they determine to give up playing on one of John's competitive sports teams this year in order to to pursue corporate worship first again. Or a retired couple who has saved well to vacation often, desiring to honor God, decides to give up an annual trip in order to more faithfully and fully support Southern Baptist missionaries serving to advance the gospel in East Asia. Church, we may or may not be called to apply these truths in those specific fashions, but we are all called to give God our first and our best. Let's give God our best time and our best energy and our best resources. And if we're honest with ourselves, if we're honest with God, then many of us would have to acknowledge that we have not been giving God our best. We may have to acknowledge that 2016 was more about us than it was God, and we need to repent, for God requires the guilty to repent. It's a message that is explicitly shared and carried out right here in Malachi chapter 1, that God requires the guilty to repent. He requires those who are guilty of irreverent worship to repent. Look back at the text, Malachi chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. Now plead with God to be gracious to us. Plead with God to be gracious to us. Will, with such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering 
from your hand. You see, in Malachi's day, the worship of God had become so indifferent, so stale, so stagnant, so superficial and irreverent that the only hope for God's people was to repent, to return to Him and seek His forgiveness and to do so quickly. Now plead with God to be gracious to us. Do not delay. Plead with Him. Now forgive us our sins. For God hates worship that is only ritual, that is without any love and devotion to Him. So church, let's repent where appropriate of half-hearted worship. Let's repent of of half-hearted worship. The truth here is that God desires those who are guilty to repent. And if they will not, He would rather not receive their worship at all. Oh, that someone would shut the temple doors. Repent of half-hearted worships. Do you need to repent today? If you need to repent, don't delay. Turn to the God who is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. If you don't need to repent, then by all means, do not repent. But if you're like me and you need to repent of half-hearted worship from time to time, then pause now and confess sin before Him. Repent before the God who knows us and who is merciful to us. Let's confess our sin before God. Father, we pray that You would reveal areas of sin in our own hearts and our own lives. Forgive us for pursuing our own way, for neglecting Christ to be in front and center. But we desire to worship You and worship you in a way that is consistent with who you are and what you deserve and what you demand and what you invite us to be about. Guide us, Lord, that we would, would give you our very best. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, God only accepts the very best in worship from His people. Is He receiving your best? Is God first place in your life, in your mind, in your heart. See, thankfully, we no longer bring animal sacrifices. We no longer have to bring the animals that are without blemish, that are without defect, because the all-sufficient sacrifice once and for all has been paid on the cross in our place for our sins, but we are called to give Him our all. Called to give Him our lives. We're called to give Him our Ourselves. Paul recognized this truth right in Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, I urge you, believers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. This is your true and proper worship. Because of who God is, because of His Abundant mercy. Because of His provision of life and salvation, He calls us, He invites us to respond in obedience to Him, to respond in reverence and devotion and worship that praises His name. And here's the truth. Whether or not we fully worship God now, hear me on this, whether or not we fully worship God now in this life, in our hearts, God will receive His due worship from the nations. God will be praised. He will receive His due worship from the nations. Look back at Malachi chapter 1, verse, verse 11. My name will be great among the nations. From where the sun rises to where it sets, in every place, 
Incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. Verse 14, last sentence of verse 14. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. You know, the God that we serve, the one and only God, the God of the scriptures is a God who is not bound to a particular geographic area or a particular ethnic group. He is the God of the nations and he will be praised by people from all across this earth, from sunrise to sunset, from the east to the west, from morning till night, God will be praised. And Malachi here foreshadowing the expansion of the message of salvation being carried to the nations of the earth. Just as Jesus instructed his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. Just as John saw in that heavenly vision recorded in Revelation chapter 7. After this I looked. After this I looked. And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from where From every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God will receive His due worship from the nations. So let's join the nations in serving and singing. Let's join the nations now and forevermore in serving God and singing His greatness. God only accepts the very best in worship from His people. Is He receiving your best? Will you be a part of serving God for all of eternity? Will you be a part of singing His praises? Do you know this God? The one who certainly asked the very best of us, but the same one who has given his best for us, who has given the life of his one and only son, the provision of forgiveness and salvation and restoration to to restore life, new life. Do you know this one? Is that the God that you are worshiping? Are you worshiping him? If not, turn to him today. Friends, trust in him today. Repent of sin and turn to the perfect, spotless, sinless lamb of God who has provided for your salvation. Give Him your life. Give Him your worship. Worship Him today. Let's worship Him now, for He is worthy of our praise. As David comes, let's stand, preparing to respond to the truths of God's Word, preparing to practice worship through song once again, through an attitude of our hearts. Let's turn to Him. Let's sing His His praises. No, as always, I'm available down front here. would love to pray with you or speak with you about any spiritual decision certainly would be glad to do that after the service uh, be at the foyer, in the foyer next to the, the welcome desk as well but let's pray and let's let's praise the lord let's offer ourselves to him let's express that we are his that we desire to know him and to serve him and to live for his glory father we do thank you that you are a god who knows us who loves us despite our sin a god who invites us to to follow after you to serve you to worship you Lord, hear our worship now through prayer, through confession, through song, through an attitude of our hearts. Be glorified in us, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.